It was everybody, they would have ceremonies um, hidden. They would have to hide to have ceremonies and sweats and all that kind of stuff. You couldn't do any of that stuff. You couldn't practice who we were. But they were still speaking the language until residential school was basically beating it out of children, literally beating it out of children. You know, and it just irks me so much that I see all these elders and stuff. You know, I have so much respect for them because of what they dealt with. Is there anyone out there? From Darkness to Life contains the real stories of individuals who found their way out of the darkness caused by mental health challenges and substance abuse. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Our Collective Journey is here for you. Please reach out when you're ready to ourcollectivejourney.ca or on Facebook at Our Collective Journey. Hello and welcome to another episode of From Darkness to Life, an Our Collective Journey podcast at the Plugged In Media Network studio. Um, Oh, yep. Sponsor plug, uh, Nicole Davis Real Estate, our corporate sponsor for this year. Thanks, Nicole. Thanks for paying for these. It's awesome. Um, in studio today, we've got, as usual, Mr. Ryan Oscar. Ooh, Mr. today. Yeah, I must have done something right overnight. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Yeah, good to be here today. I'm excited to be here today. Uh, well, I'm excited to be here every day, but with the guest we have today, I'm super pumped for today. Yeah. So today's guest, we're, uh, you know, and, and if I shit the bet on this, feel free to correct me. Um, <laughs> so we, again, uh, we met him about uh, two year and a half, two years ago now, um, at, at a convention and, uh, instantly hit it off like old lost brothers. It was, uh, it was pretty <laughs> crazy. And since then we've had a ton of engagement and, uh, hanging out lots and it's, it's, I'm sure we'll get into a few stories, but it's uh, been pretty amazing. Um, Mr. Trevor Peltier from, and I guess that, you know, you can, I'm not even going to try to pronounce your Blackfoot name. You can you can do that for me. <laughs> do uh, it. Please do it. <laughs> Out of the Siksika Nation, he's the, I believe, director of the show. Uh, supervisor, Super- acting, well, manager. All of those things that yeah. he said. Everything under the under the light. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, only gets one paycheck, though. Doesn't get yeah. a, doesn't get paid for all oh, of them. I know. <laughs> um, so uh, he's, he's an elder with uh, the Horn Society. Um, elder in training, elder in training, yeah. elder in training with the Horn Society. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he's been, uh, he's been a huge part actually, honestly, of, of my spiritual growth over the last year and a half. Um, I've, I've kind of really fallen in love with, um, with the indigenous culture and, and try to get as much exposure to it as I can now. But without further ado, I feel like we need a drum roll. We need, we need some sound effects, Dave. We need the sound effects button. <laughs> Me, uh, <laughs> uh, Mr. Trevor Pelche, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, my Blackfoot name is C.P. Stokus. It means owl child. It was given to me by, uh, well, it's actually my family's last name. So um, it's an old name. It was um, given to me by my aunt, actually, before she passed away. She, um, like, Blackfoot people, we accumulate names you know, was big changes in our lives. So when I joined the Horn Society, I had, my first name was uh, Morning Walking Over the Hill. My second name when I joined the Horn Society was uh, White Buffalo Calf. And then I got to um, my second part, like joining the Horn Society, 
my auntie pulled me aside one day and she said, here, I got something. So I went to her room and got tobacco and said, uh, when you're elder, when you go into um, your next sweat, you ask the elder, tell them to say your name is this. And then she told me, Sleepy Stokos, that's our old child, that's who we are. I want you to carry that name on. And don't tell your brothers because they're going to get a little jealous of you. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, me being, um, I was just like, really? And she's like, yeah, you can, you know, take that on. You know, I, I see all the stuff that you're doing and, you know, just to keep trying to learn the language and understanding where you come from. You know, our people, like within our family, we're, they're afraid of culture because they didn't know. It's the unknown. They're afraid. Um, my dad never took that rain because my grandfather had a rattle in the uh, Gito Geek Society, and that's a part of the society. Everybody that's a part of that has um, that item that's a rattle, and he wanted to transfer it to one of the people in my family. My dad said no, you know, because he didn't grow up with it, right? And my um, uncles, everybody, no, no. So when my auntie came around, um, my auntie said, like, you know, make sure you carry that name on. We need that name to be, you know, strong, you know. And my last, my dad's last name is actually, you know, Spencer Owlchild. But, you know, out of respect, Pelche comes from my, 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 um, my dad's stepdad. That's, that's where I get the last name, Pelche. Mm -hmm. But eventually I will change my name to Owlchild again. Yeah. But yeah, like, um, it's just that identity of, being black, but having your last name is something where, because back in residential school, everybody was forced to change their name. They were forced to change your name, like, because you're, you, you can't get work anywhere with a black with last name. You can't, you can't do all these things. You can't get all, you know, your life going without changing your name. Right. So people were embarrassed to have their names or they walk down the street with their head down right to the sidewalk and they walk around. You know, they're not proud of who they are, where they come from. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's my Blackfoot name, and I really, you know, I cherish a lot. You know, it's it's important. You know, it's important to me and to my identity and who I am. Yeah, I've yeah. never I've never met too many people that I think have struck me as so proud of who they are. Mm -hmm. You know, and but simultaneously having enough humility to know that they don't quite know who they are yet. And mm -hmm. that's an ongoing journey, right? Yeah. That's like an everyday, like, you know, I'm in the spectrum of learning traditional teaching. This is all I know right here. You know, elders that are way up here, guys that have got into their eighties, they're, they're, it's a lifelong journey of learning, you know, and, uh, me, I'm just a tiny speck of where I'm at right now. Like, I still have lots to learn. You know, I've been in there 17, coming on 17 years. You know, it's been, the journey has been quite um, tough because I grew up in, you know, in Calgary. I, you know, I was, I didn't want anybody to know that I was a, a Blackfoot person and I didn't want to know that I was a native. Like, I was teased every day at school mm. and racially slurred every day. Like, honestly, every day. But the thing that kept me strong was my family. My, my dad, my mom, my grandparents, especially them. You know, my, gra my grandma going through residential school, my grandpa, the same thing. But the thing is, is my, my family was so strong. 
growing up and that that's something that I appreciate a lot, you know, and, you know, especially coming into what I do now, I never thought I would be where I am now. You know, if you don't have that core of family, you know, it's, it's hard to get through a lot of stuff, you know, and my family wasn't the richest family we struggled. We had our struggles, but my family, you know, I, I lost my dad in 2017 and that impacted me a lot. Like, and, you know, like, how am I going to move on to, to being a father? Like mm -hmm. my dad was, so I, I had a spiritual, um, kind of like an opening one day and he came to me in my, in the dream, but I wasn't, it wasn't during the evening or something. I was just like, uh, sitting down on my bed. I came home from a meeting and I was on my phone playing a game and all of a sudden I'm walking down the hallway and, uh, I go into this room and my dad's in there and when my dad passed away, like, four days before that and I asked him like you know I, I got to ask questions to him and you know what happened and you know how am I gonna and all he told me was all the things I've ever taught you are in your mind and in your heart that's the love I give you that's that's where you have me you have me with you no matter mm -hmm. what your siblings won't understand this but you do your 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 inner self of who you are as you know you're you're more in touch with how to understand me and i can't go out to your little brother he's gonna struggle hard my sister's gonna struggle really hard you know and they do but you know they they have so much love for my dad you know they they have like they're just trying to find their identity you know and it's hard you know and it's hard because you living in the city, you're not around the, the the people that are there that you're embedded with what's in the societies and the culture and the, you know it's not only, not only, you know being it's a connection to the land, it's connection to the to the elders, people that you could talk to, and you know I've learned a lot. I've lived on the reserve now, um, sixteen years. Uh, I've been a part of society going on six, six, seventeen years. You know it's it's um. This is my second time around, you know, I was a part of this Horn Society when I first joined, I was a partner. The second I got asked again, so I was a partner, so now I take care of, so I've been a part of three um, bundles in the society. And it's not about, no, it's, it's not me looking for power. No, I had dreams about these things, and that's the thing is, I didn't join just because, oh, I want to be a holy guy. I want to be an elder. I want to go, you know, it was my calling to be where I'm at. And I, I don't want, I don't want people abusing, like, the, the cultural teachings and, you know, within within our program we have now, that, that identity and the culture is so important. Mm -hmm. It's so important to, to, to show our guys who we are as Blackfoot people. And where we come from, you know, we have a connection to the land. We don't own the land. You know, when people came here, the residentials came here, they tried telling us, this is how you should live. This is what you need. This is what you're going to do. You're going to do this. The government's telling us all this kind of stuff. The church is telling all the kind of stuff. I have no disrespect to the church or any other religious, you know, you believe in how you believe. You have to find your own center and who mm -hmm. you are as a person. You know, you have your own thoughts. You have your own. It's the way we look and perceive the creator in our own way. It's not 
I don't have to go to a church to to know who God is or the Creator. You know, a building doesn't mm-hmm. justify who you are as a as a as a cultural person or a traditional person or somebody that goes to a church. You know, and that's a lot. A lot of people are lost like that. They're pointing fingers. You don't go to a church. You don't know. Yeah. You know, like it's just it's hard. You know, with our people being racially bashed and stuff like that. You know, and one guy came to me one day and he said, oh, Trevor, why well, we got to set up a teepee? We're setting a teepee up that day, you know. And like all the other guys are like pumped. Like, ah, man, I never <laughs> set up a teepee before. He goes, why do we got to do this? And I'm like, how many people in this world are there? And he said, I don't know, one billion? I said, there's like seven, seven, like there's like seven billion people in this world. You know, and who gets to do this? And he kind of thought, well, I guess just, I said, just, this is a, this is ours. This is belongs to us. Yeah. This is how our people are. <clears throat> so you think of all those people. But when he got the teepee set up, you know, he was like working his butt off. And <laughs> he kind of, he was just sweating and it was hot that day. And he, he comes over as soon as we finished putting the last, putting the last pagan, he gets up and goes, that is cool, man. We built this. I'm like, <laughs> now you see what I mean? And he's yeah. like, yeah, man. Oh, I feel really proud. Now, this is something that's really big. You know, something's a big thing. I've never done this in my life. I've never, ever got asked to set up a teepee. Wow. I've never got asked to to, to be a part of what this is, like this group you guys have here in the, in the recovery program you guys run. Um, And then another guy, for example, he came to me like two weeks ago. He said, Trevor, can I talk to you? And I said, yeah. And Ty was with me, my um, team lead. We're just talking, and he goes, you know what? I've been to five treatment centers. Not one place I found myself until I came home. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, can you collaborate on and tell me, like, how, how that is? And he said, well, you know, there's so much structure in, in, in treatment centers. You have to be up at seven. You have to make your bed. You have to do this. You have to do that. That's one thing you can't force people to do stuff. You know, you give them a time. Okay. We're going to start at 10 o'clock. You have all the time before 10 o'clock to eat, shower, um, deal with what you have to deal with on that day. Then once it comes, we smudge. But a lot of guys are getting up in our program now at eight doing their stuff, they're getting, they're having their food, but they're smudging before they get ready for the day, like they before 10 o'clock before the, our instructor comes in. And, you know, the, he said, I've never got the opportunity to find out who I am. I get to speak my language. I get to talk with my friends. I get to be a role model to the younger guys. And this guy is in his 70s. That's in our program. It took him over 30 years. He's traveled far and wide to find out who he was until he got home, until someone gave him a chance just to understand where he comes from, mm-hmm. have his connection to who he is, to speak his language, to show his true support to all the younger guys. And I said, that's a work of an elder right there. And he goes, well, how so? You know, when we're in societies and stuff, you know, everybody starts off, and they call them green, like you're green. You start, you know, I'm pretty sure you guys know that. Yeah, yeah, you sure. know, you're you're new. You know, when I first started journey, uh, journey of doing what I'm doing today, you know, actually this is my seventh year today 
No kidding. Being a part of addictions and recovery. Yeah. You know, this is my seventh year today. So, and I that never sucks. in my life thought that I would be here. And I told that to um, the guy that was tell, telling me that, you know, about all this stuff, about his reconnection. I told him, you know, that's the thing is we're not forcing anybody to do anything. We're not forcing anybody to be there. It's your choice to be here as, a, as, as, as much as support you need. I said, there, there's, there's a brighter future for you once you, you start knowing who you are, where you come from. You know, and it takes that, that addiction part, and it just, it, it doesn't get rid of it until he takes care of that part. Mm-hmm. But if he's finding himself here, he's working towards that, then he can take it and say, okay, well, this is what I'm going to do. So we're not shoving that addiction part in their face. Mm-hmm. You know, they take care of it. As they need to, because everybody has their own path. We've had one guy, he was in there over a year. And, you know, he never like, he's never like, oh, I want to, I want to get better. I just want to go to school. That's all I want to do. So he went to school, 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 never took care of, always, I need to take care of my house. I need someone to go there. Like he wasn't focused on, mm-hmm. on the, this part of his life. But he went on the trips, he went on all the stuff, talked with the elders, did all that stuff, but he never truly took care of himself. And he didn't understand that. So he quit. He quit the group. He quit being a part of the, and he finally realized after he left, like, what am I doing? You know, how can I, how can I get back to that? You know, and we told him, the door's always open for you when you're ready to come back, you know you know, pray that you, you return. And he basically comes every day and talks to us, but he wants to go to town. He wants to go to the liquor store. He wants to go to his friends. And we told him, where, where are you sitting outside? Yeah, I'm hot. I'm cold. I'm hungry. Like, you know, and we, we, we tried to tell him like, you know, that's not, that's not, that's not, those aren't friends. Yeah. Yeah. These are, those are, Buddies or people <laughs> yeah. that you think are your friends. They're yeah. not your friend. The second you have money, because he collects age, that guy. Oh, yeah. So he's got, people know the second he gets money, they're there with him. Friends come out of the woodwork. Yeah, out of, <laughs> out of nowhere. You yeah. know what I mean? And as soon as that bank account hits zero, mm-hmm. they smoke bomb on to the next. Yeah, yeah, they're gone. Or they'll try and wait for him to take money out and they'll roll them. Yeah. Wow. You know, that's a thing too. Like it's, it's so frustrating you know, that people are our own people. They won't even take two seconds out of the day to say hello to the person. You know, the guys are hungry. Like, I'm, I go to town in Gleason. That's where our main street. There's a liquor store there. Now they just opened a cannabis store there. You know, there's a, <clears throat> they're selling, <clears throat> they're selling to people that are like heavily intoxicated. Wow. They're still selling to them. They've got closed like three or four times in the last year. Our our police have really tried to, our CMPs really tried to keep on there. So I go to town one day and guy stops me. I said, hey, what's going on? Uh, I said, oh, uh, not much. You? What's, what are you up to? Oh, I'm just trying to make some, enough to get a, a bottle. I said, are you hungry? He goes, yeah, actually, I'm really hungry. Can you? So I said, come, in, come inside with me. 
And it was me, Ty, and Wyatt, and a couple of the other guys went inside and were, were um, getting ready to grab some food. And he walks over and goes <laughs> goes to get himself a sandwich. And, and he comes over and he says, Trevor, can I get a bag of chips too? I'm like, well, I don't want a sandwich. I'll just have chips. But you can give me five bucks and I'll go to the store. I said, no, mm-hmm. I'll feed you. No, get a, have have something to eat first, at least. Have yeah. something to eat. Yeah. I'm not going to give you money for it. You got to earn that. That's how you, you figure out your way to do that. But I will help you eat. I will help you get food and put something in your body. And he said, okay. So he came and we were talking and I just asked him, like, what, what's your plans for today? And he goes, Oh, I don't know. Probably just wait in town and beg for money all day. Panhandle. I said, why don't you come over to the program? He kind of says, ah, no, I don't want to be there. Kind of waited, waited. So the couple of weeks passed by. It was just the same thing every day. Waiting, waiting. Wait. And finally he came and said, hey, um, I'm having a real hard time today. I, I'm really sick. So we got someone to come and check him out. The paramedics came and checked on him. We have a community paramedic team that was with health. Mm-hmm. So if guys want to stabilize, so we, we don't call it detox. It's a stabilization. So he came in and got him stabilized. And um, this guy comes from health. And, like you know, we lost this guy that I'm talking about. He's one of my good friends. This guy came from health and said, hey, why don't you just forget this program? I'll take you to the to treatment. Hmm. You know, this, they, these guys aren't nothing. They don't have anything that you could use. It's like, okay, okay, I'll go with you. So he left. He came back. <clears throat> he came back and um, he was going to join our program again. But that same guy came and told him, hey. And he ended up falling off that guy and him. They went to town. And he just continued drinking. He mm-hmm. lost his dad. He came back and treated him. He lost his dad. Came back and he turned around. And, you know, he was drinking heavily, like hard. And uh, I used to get him to come over to my house and play, watch hockey. And, you know, his uncle stayed not too far from me. No, just hang out. Yeah, just come and hang out or just come over. And, like, we were peeling poles one time. And I got real funny stories with him. But, you know, he, you know, he just... Just to sit there and talk with somebody. Mm-hmm. Just connection. That's all he wanted. That's all he wanted just was connection. just somebody to connect with, you know. And he he really, he really just wanted that. And I seen that, in, you know, since I started working there. You know, before all this, you know, before I started, I was one of those guys that wouldn't even give anybody the time of day to even talk to them, you know, because I didn't understand. Now I know. Everybody has a story. Everybody mm-hmm. has a past. Everybody has a reason how they got there or something happened or impacted them at a younger age. And a lot of it's the, the, the trauma, the, the, like the second level trauma, the next you know, generational trauma. Gen- yeah. yeah. Generational trauma, all that stuff that they went through as their parents went through, they suffered from their parents, you know? And then I didn't even know that residential school even when I first moved to the reserve, I didn't know that happened. Mm-hmm. So I watched a movie, uh, Crystal's grand, my wife's grandparents. And they said, have you watched this movie before? And I'm like, no, what is it? And she said, it's called We Are Children. I'm like, okay. 
So we watch it, and I'm kind of like, you know, I've been, I went to school 12 years in Catholic school, mm-hmm. learned all whatever it is that they taught us there. And so I watch this movie, and I'm like, I'm like, what is this? And she said, this is how residential school was. I'm like. This is a history. Yeah. I'm like, what? How? Yeah, how, they, how they, left, you, yeah. they left that part out. <laughs> yeah. How How can they, like, you know, do that to children? Mm-hmm. So I thought about my grandparents, you know, my, my grand, like, I was so mad when I was done. I said, I'm never watching that movie again. I said, dad, it's not right. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I went to school for 12 years in a Catholic school. I went to church every Sunday and it's not, it's not the church. It was the, the people at the mm-hmm. time that did it. So I have nothing against the people, but the thing is, these are people we're supposed to trust and, and they're supposed to be. Um, you know, people of God, and you know these, and it turned me off. I'm like, you know that that's not, that's not how I want my to, my kids to be treated. I look at my son and my daughter. You know, if anybody ever treated my kids like that today, you know, you know those guys wouldn't. You know, you don't you don't do that to children. And my uncle taught me one time. He was on the streets. You know, it's pretty much the only person. I knew that had an addiction problem. Uh, we went to his house, I think it was a month before he passed away. My auntie brought him, brought us there. And uh, we went in there and I seen in his cupboard, he had like liquor bottles in there, empty. And I told uncle, where's all your, where's all your food? And he goes, I don't need it. I know where to go to eat breakfast. I know where to go to eat lunch. And I know where to go eat supper. I know what time to go. And I didn't know what he was talking about. She said, she said, you'll never know what I went through. And I don't want you to know. Wow. I'm like, so I thought all these years, that was like, I think I was like, I must have been about 17, no, 16 years old when I when he passed away. And I never knew that until I started working where I am now. The first year it actually hit me. As soon as I started watching all that stuff about the residential schools, and I just said, just hit me, boom. I was like, that's why he was doing what he was doing. Yeah. He would spend Christmas with my family, my with my aunt. He would always stay there for a couple of weeks during Christmas, and then he'd be gone. But the thing is, he chose to live that way because he knew how to survive. He knew how to adapt because that's what he learned you know it wasn't you know it, it what it should have been was because my family lost her language i didn't the only person was my auntie that gave my blackwood name she was the only fluent blackwood speaker in our family i'm pretty sure my auntie dorothy her sister understood blackwood and i think my grandma understood but my grandma was taken out of residential school when she was 15 they, they left the reserve but they, because they left, they took her rights from her. They took her status away. They took everything away from her. That you, no, you're going to Calgary. You go, you go stay there. You're not, you're not allowed back on the reserve. Those are Indian agents at the time saying that. Mm-hmm. That so that means oh, all your rights and who you are, you're no longer a number to who we are as uh, native people. You're not, you're not. That's what we are. We're numbers to the government. I have a number. That's that my status card. That's I'm not. Doesn't even matter what my name is. 
As long as they know who 407701 is, that's who I am to them. And that's the, the toughest battle right now is people are, are fighting against all this stuff. That's why we're losing who we are because we're so tied up in mainstream. We don't step aside and say, well, let's learn who we are back home. So that's why, you know, we're reconnecting back to who we are. And this program is making that happen. It's well, making guys understand. And like talking about your grandma, I mean, so, you know, and I'm not going to by any means claim to be an expert in this subject matter at all. So mm-hmm. if I'm wrong, forgive me and correct me, please. The intention of the residential schools was to culturize the indigenous population into the Western way. Mm-hmm. So through that process, and I say we as being a white guy, <laughs> strip you of your culture and your identity. And then if, and then, and then your grandmother leaves the reservation and they, they strip her of whatever's left mm-hmm. as an identity. Not only her, like other people. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. By no means is an isolated incident. Oh, I, I have no doubt. Oh, right. But so like you strip them of their culture and then you strip them of their identity and then you wonder why, you know, and for, and again, forgive me, I'm not trying to be rude or ignorant here, but like why there's such a multi-generational loss of identity, right? And it's like. That's one of the main, main reasons. Mm-hmm. It's that, it's that. It, so, for example, two guys are selling hay. The farmers off the reserve are selling their hay. For this price, they're getting this much for their hay. A Blackfoot person sells their hay, oh, you're only getting this much. I'm going to take a percentage off you, and you can't sell to anybody else. Just sell to the Indian agent. You can't leave the reserve with anything you make. You can't sell it to this guy unless you have a permit from me. So and I'm, I'm sure that wasn't corrupted at all, right? Oh, it was, <laughs> it was bad. Like it, that's, that's not only, Hey, that's animals. That's the things that we were, they were, we were limited. We had to have a permit to go to Calgary just to go shop. Wow. So we, we were, we were basically told you cannot leave unless you have a piece of paper that says that I let you go. That was an Indian agent, a government worker, somebody who told and dictated to our people how you can live, where you can go, who you can to even visit our own family members. So how long so ago would that have been? Um, technically, if there was still an Indian agent, they could still put that into place because it was never removed. <laughs> so it's still... It could still exist, but it doesn't anymore. So because um, the government has such a grasp on on our people and what we're doing and the things that that we, we can only do so much, like our chief can't turn around. Like our chief was like, I'm, I, I could give it to our chief, Ori Crowfoot. Like he, he um, stepped up to, he called out Justin Trudeau. He told him, I'm not your, fr- we are not your friend. 
until you prove that you can be an ally to, to the black people, to Shiksaga, you have to prove yourself. I'm not going to be anybody's friend unless you are in favor of what you're going to do to help us. Yeah, and I think at that point, the onus is on them to prove it. Oh, right? and, and that's the thing. Yeah. That's the thing. And he called them out. And I don't, I don't think any other chief has ever done that. The way he turned around and told him straight to his, and he was sitting right beside him. And they had that 1910 yeah, surrender yeah. signing and called them out and told them, you know, this is how it's supposed to be. You know, the land never, like this, the biggest thing is about the land. That was the whole 1910 surrender. So this land was given to us. It was about the same size as six and a, but in 1910, it was turned around and they said, no, we're going to take this piece. They just took it without any consent or no so that, that's like how it was. Like they would tell you, okay, you can get this, but no, we're going to take that away and you have to deal with it. You know, when my, when my, um, when my, um, in-laws, like they tell me stories, like they're elders and they, I didn't get to know my grandparents as an adult. They passed away when I was about 11 or 12 years old. So I lost my grandma. She was only 56 years old. So I never got to meet her as an adult. My wife's grandmother knew her, knew my family. So I got to hear stories of when they were small and young to how they were, so how the reserve used to be. You know, I asked uh, my father and our, my in-law, and uh, he, I told him, how was, it in this, how was it in the 50s? Like, you know, like, you know, down in the United States, there was like music going galore and, people bringing all these albums out and singers and, you know, like Johnny Cash and, you know, all these, like, how, how, how was it? He said, it was good. You know, he just said it was good. I'm like, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, here within the people, it was good. There was no liquor, no alcohol, nothing. It was everybody. They would have ceremonies, um, hidden. They would have to hide to have ceremonies and sweats and all that kind of stuff. You couldn't do any of that stuff. You couldn't practice who we were. But they were still speaking the language until residential school was basically beating it out of children. Literally. Yeah. Literally beating it out of children. You know, and it just irks me so much that I see all these elders and stuff. You know, I have so much respect for them because of what they dealt with. You know, and to come out of what they came out of to be, you know, within our society. I look at our elders in our society that come and teach us. I have so much respect for them. And, you know, the story they have to tell and the things they talk about and how we have connection to the land. And, you know, the biggest thing about the connection one time, this elder told me, have you ever walked on the ground without any, without your shoes on? And I go, what do you mean? They go, in the field there, you see that grass? That grass is untouched. No one's ever, no one's ever touched it or built anything on it. And he says, where do you think lightning goes when it hits the ground? I'm like, well, I don't know. It burns something and hits. And he <laughs> said, no. So our elders knew when lightning would hit the ground that there was like a, our bodies were made of, there was electricity that ran through our body or some kind of 
connection now it's a connection to the ground so if you're ever having a shitty day you know he would tell us go go out for a walk <clears throat> take your shoes off and just put like, your feet to the ground and re- like recharge yeah recharge your body wow and that's the whole thing with the sweat the sweat lodge i can go on hours about everything that that the connection has for you there like that that charge in your body is like you know, it, 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 that's that connection to the ground where you recharge your body. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have that connection and you're not, you're, you know, we, we, we all wear shoes. Even you guys have the same connection. Every human being has a connection to the ground. But other cultures aren't taught that. Other cultures aren't shown that because they're so derooted from where they came from you know, they're not, they don't have a piece of that. But Blackwood people in our area here, you know, this this territory here, even in Medicine Hat, there's a lot of stories. There's effigies. There's, there's stories about this land itself. You know, even Cyprus, there's connection we have there. We have stories our elders tell us about these, these places. They have names of the hills and the names of the rivers in Blackwood here in Medicine Hat too, mm-hmm. you know they, 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 they always tell us stories like within our teachings. You know your your connection to the ground is, it's it's everybody has a right to to, to be, uh, part of what they think has culture and spirituality, but you have to just find it within yourself, like you said. You know, since your journey, you know, it, it, it's helped you a lot. You know, and even to, like, if you're having a hard day, go for a walk outside and just take a deep breath of the air and, you know, it rekindles your, that flame inside and it gets you going again. I know we've, <clears throat> I'm pretty sure we've talked about how we did get the opportunity to go for a sweat with you mm-hmm. and your team out there. And, uh, and like that day literally was like life changing for me. Just, the experience was amazing, right? The the experience itself was amazing, but the as you explained the why and the how and and the sweat returning to the earth and and the cleansing, like as you explained the why, you know, I I was much the same way, right? I was I was brought up in the Catholic Church and it never mm-hmm. really clicked, I guess, for me, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, just that one day out there with you guys, I was like. I, I can get behind this, like, and, and it, it, not just get behind it in theory, but like, you know, when we crawled out of that thing, it was, it was different. Right. And like, I, I don't mean to sound like hokey and ridiculous and, and nonsensical. <laughs> yeah. Right. But like it, it had a significant impact on me. And, and ever since then, like, I, I think I came out of there and I told you, I'm like, dude, whatever whatever more you got to share with me, I want it. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm in like the, and what I showed you, like I said, was just a speck. Yeah. Like to, to come out, uh, at that point was, you know, it's almost like the hard work was already done, but to actually go out and start early in the morning. So what my partner, I do is we'll go out, We'll literally wait till the sun comes up. And a lot of people don't know this, but everybody has a connection to the sun. 
that first part, the sun, as soon as the sun peeks over the the horizon, that first sun, that's why we're so connected to the sun. We don't, we don't worship the sun or, but if you think about it, the sun provides life, growth, strength, because of all the nutrients it puts yeah. into our food. You know, it provides warmth within who we are. So when you when you take that first part of the sunlight in the morning and you you see that, man, it just energizes you and you go. So we go to pick our willows out and it's just a being a part of like being with the with the guys and you know, everybody's you know, we're 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 doing our thing and you know, we're teasing each other and you're mm-hmm. you know, you're talking about you know, that's a get your chance to like let it go some like the the crap you carry with you, you know, you know the struggle you have in, in your life, and you talk to your your closest brothers. We we call them brothers in that society, and our sisters. You know, we go out, and it's just us. There's nobody else out there. But everything we're doing, it's it's for the people. It's not for just us. Us, we're vessels to. People come to us for help and support. But if you have that connection, you start early in the morning and you're working your way toward that sweat. That's the part I want you guys to come and experience. Mm-hmm. And it's not its not me showing or trying to be, oh, you guys, you got, you're just missing the, the best part. It's all of it in one day. It's its own journey. Yeah. yeah so, and you'll have an even a, a more exhilarating experience once you pick up that you know and when i went into my first sweat you know i was scared i was claustrophobic and and the elder in there was like i think he was like 83 and i'm thinking I'm, I'm like six foot three i'm a big guy like i'm about 250 looking at this guy i'm like he's he's probably about a buck five <laughs> <laughs> maybe a buck 20 83 years old and man, that sweat was hot in there. And I was kind of afraid and thinking to myself, I can do this. Like, if he can do it, I can do it. I'm how many years younger than him? So after that day, after my first sweat, you know, and you guys, that same feeling you had, that was the exact same feeling I had when I came out. And just being, it's almost, they say it's a... Our, in our stories, it's a womb of a buffalo, and that's where our people they believe where they come from. It's within that womb, a mother's womb. So every time, all that stuff you carry with you all year, you know, our people believe, you know, our, our, our spiritual people, like in the Horn Society, Beaver Bundle owners, Medicine Pipe owners, Thunder Pipe, everything that we carry, we carry the weight of our people, the struggle, the addiction, the the hurt, the pain, the sickness, you carry every single thing because we don't just pray for ourselves. We pray for our people. That's the whole part of it. And when when we go into that sweat and it's just that feeling, you have that weight and you're weighed down. But if you know what you're going for into the sweat and you have it already set in your mind that you want Support for this person, prayers for this person, prayers for the people, not only for Sixaga, but 
Bagana, Bigani, Scafi Bigani, Chutina, all our people in our life that you are surrounded by and the people that aren't even related to you and the people that are starving and hungry and are are riddled by by drugs and like everything that you just put all that weight on your shoulders and when you go into that sweat as hot as it is you put your mind to where you want it to be and you don't feel the heat in there I've been in a lot of sweats that have burnt it, like literally burnt my skin and I don't feel it in there I'm I'm at that point where the, as hard as it can be, you know, it doesn't bother me. I'm just, I know what I'm in there for. And that's this inner strength you have to have in yourself. It's, it's, it's not easy, but at the same time, you got to just find who you are and understand what you're asking for. So that feeling when you come out, it's 20 times better, 100 times better. You know, and like the experience you guys experienced that day, there was just a piece of, yeah, a piece of it. And there's so much more, you know, and if people take time to understand Blackfoot people, Cree people, Ojibwe, Dene, they all think, we think alike, but we're all different. Mm -hmm. We don't think the same as you and I, like, mm -hmm. um, like, my mom, my mom's white. She's from, uh, she's uh, from Scotland and England. Like she's got connections. My dad met her. They got married. My dad's black, but my dad's uh, real dad's from Ontario. But where I am, you know, I found that connection. Literally went to the Sundance one day with my mother-in-law to help them set up and help her move her stuff in. And I got instantly, like I said, I, I went to Catholic school. I never found myself. I was lost before I came down. I didn't know who to look for, for spiritual or cult, anything. I didn't know. Until I went to the Sundance, I had a dream about that Sun Lodge. And that's our biggest ceremony we have. And that's where all the community, everybody comes. I dreamt of that Sun Lodge that we have. And they call it the Okan. I dreamt of it. I've never seen it in my life. I've never seen it in books. Never seen it. I had a dream about it. I had my hands put four times to that center pole. Now I've been involved, I think, in five of them to help put it up. So now I know. But the next day after I had that dream, I told my mother-in-law. And she said, hold on, we'll, we'll go drive up. I'll show you something. So we're driving up. The same day, or the day before, we drove down the same road, and I looked to my left, and I didn't see nothing. So the next day, that same road went down. I looked to my left, and there was one of those old sun lodges there. I told her that's what i seen. And everything I explained in my dream, that was already on that. That was what i seen. Never seen it the day before. Hmm. A lot of the stuff that happened in that dream those are the, the, the way how they prepared and bring the tree to, to the Okan and how everybody comes together. And every family puts it together as a group, not just 20 or 30 people, but every family has a piece to that Okan. That's why they Sundance where everybody comes together once a year. 
But because Indian age divided, the government divided us, we're also blocked with the blood tribe, Bikani, Ascafi Bikani, and that's Browning in, in, the, in the States, mm -hmm. and Sixga, we're all blocked with, at one time, they, our elders said there was probably over 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 500,000 to a million people. We had, we were so vast, and you look at the size of our territory, our territory literally, literally goes from the North Saskatchewan River up to Edmonton, right in the middle of Edmonton, all the way down to Yellowstone National Park and past there, not too far. Mm -hmm. Right to the mountains, right to the border by, to the Saskatchewan border and uh, Manitoba border. So our, that's how lar large our scale is of our territory. And this isn't made up. Yeah, yeah. No, like other other tribes will, will say, no, you guys didn't. It's not, that's not true, but it's true. We have epigees. We have proof, proof that there is Blackfoot markings in each area of where we were, of how big our territory was. We had a, uh, do you guys know who Maslow, Maslow's yep. hierarchy of, yep. do you know where that comes from? You know where he got that, I that theory? it was him. <laughs> no, he came to Shiksaga. He, he took that from Shiksaga. So how he, he came, learned off us and he stole our, that's how we are. That's how our people are. <laughs> so his, you look at his writings and everything. That's how the block with people think how we are, how we we live. And that's all the time we got for this episode, but uh, this conversation carries on for another hour or so, so we actually split this into two episodes, so this is just part one. So uh, please come back next week and listen to part two, because Trevor's a uh, pretty wise young elder. <laughs> yeah, for sure. He's got some, some more nuggets there he's going to drop on us next week that I, we can't wait for everyone to hear. Yeah. So again, thank you to Plugged In Media Network, uh, Nicole Davis Real Estate, and bye-bye. Uh, From Darkness to Life is an Our Collective Journey podcast. These are the true stories of struggles and triumphs against addiction and mental health challenges. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Our Collective Journey is here for you. Please consider supporting OCJ by visiting ourcollectivejourney.ca and clicking donate. All proceeds go to supporting the health and wellness of people in our community. Hosted by members of Our Collective Journey. Produced by Rob Pape. Engineered, edited, and directed by Dave Cruikshank. From Darkness to Life is a plugged-in media network exclusive. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.